man, I'm I I've been looking forward to this day for like a couple of weeks now. And uh and it's I'm finally ready for here. this journey. I'm ready for this journey. Uh all right. Well, I don't even know how to start it. I haven't thought that far ahead, even though I've been waiting for this day for weeks now. Um Hello everybody, welcome to the Fast and the Furious's Art of Fast and the Furious Appreciation Podcast. This is a journey where me and my co-host Dan are going to experience <laughs> and enjoy and share our love for the Fast and the Furious films. Um, for for me, Rob, uh, you know, for the is that who know, you are? time. Yeah, I'm your host, Rob. You know what I noticed? Podcasts do that because it's good. It's good practice. <laughs> it's good to do that. And oh, okay. I have I never done that the third in person any. I have never. Oh no. <laughs> I just mean introducing who you are. Uh, <laughs> I've never okay. done that in any of my podcasts. Uh, and I okay. realized, oh, yeah, I should be like, I'm your host, Rob. And, you know, so people who are new. Well, uh, let's... Rob, <clears throat> as your co-host, Dan, I would yeah. just like to say thank you for making me watch this movie because it really is art. It's a masterpiece. It's a great as, movie. As your co-host, Rob, I can't wait to see how this goes over the next, like, nine movies. Because You know I, what? Well, I'm hyped for... I'm hyped for the what I'm like the world building that I'm about to like because oh, I I casually so remember I, I look I was a Fast and the Furious fan up until like we got to like Tokyo Drift and then I kind of just like eh, you know eh, that's fine uh, I, I'll go watch you know Lord of the Rings now uh, and you know that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of right. what happened to me but you've been a hard, a diehard Fast and the Furious fan. Uh, and that's all you talk about. And so uh, more or less. And so I'm so excited to take this journey. What's great is if that's the, I was about to ask, like, you know, figure before we dive into the movie, I guess for everybody listening for the first time, hello and welcome. And hopefully if you're listening, it's because either you're a longtime fan of the franchise or maybe this is your first time watching it. We're going to be treating this as this, as if it's everybody's first time, which is to say, in every episode, we're going to be covering the next movie in the franchise, and we're going to be talking about that movie and everything before it, but nothing after it. So there won't be any like major spoilers about later on in the franchise. And you won't have get to, to worry about episode. me because I won't. I don't even. I I, I have no now. I I watched this movie many times uh, <laughs> in my youth, and I did. I was astonished how much of it I didn't remember. Yeah, I mean, it is it is twenty years old this year. Which is wild. This is a 20 year old franchise. Um, know, but that's going to be crazy? the general structure is each episode we're going to talk about a movie. We are going to cover Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, this is going to be a podcast that comes out hopefully every other week. So I think timing wise, depending on how everything goes with, you know, the pandemic uh, coming to an end, we'll be able to check out uh, Fast 9 when that's in theaters. Uh, we are going to have an episode where we could talk about, you know, the video games and the show and the, the, the ride and, you know, the future of the franchise. So we're going to cover all of that. But uh, more or less, it's every episode is going to be a discussion about the movie we're watching uh, that week. And uh, this week, obviously, we're starting at the top of the franchise with The Fast and the Furious, the 2001 film. And I was going to ask what your familiarity with the franchise is. And it sounds like one through three and then kind of just tapered off there. Yeah. And I don't I don't really don't rem like I thought I I thought that so much more happened in this movie, but really very little happens in this movie. I mean, a lot happens in the movie. Don't get me wrong. But like, I was just like, oh, wow. Like, we didn't talk about being a family at all in this one. Oh, no. Yeah. Like, none <laughs> of the, it, it's interesting to see how this film starts to 
accidentally lay the groundwork for the well, franchise yeah, yeah, because they didn't so know funny. that there was nobody was like, yeah, 20 years later, we're still going to be making these and it's going to yeah. be a multi-billion dollar franchise. It, it's all by accident. Um, I'm in a weird boat where I saw this in theaters. It was the summer before high school started. I saw it in theaters. I really loved it, but I totally fell off from there and I never watched another Fast and the Furious until seven was coming out and that was the one where you know paul walker had passed uh while they were filming it mm. and so the everybody was talking about it and how they were gonna you know see him off and what was gonna happen and uh i was like well i want to go see it but there's no way i can just go see the seventh <sighs> movie in a franchise okay, okay okay so that answers a lot of questions for me because i was like because i know you pretty well and you're not a car nerd you're not no like, you're not, not a Carter. And so that I was like, I was like, oh, if he's been obsessed with these movies since like 2001, that's when you and I were like in high school. That would yeah. have like, and like, this is also, I, I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but correct me if I'm wrong. Gone in 60 Seconds came out like a, a hot minutes before this. I, I, yes. I, I, right. Gone in 60 Seconds was before this. Gone in 60 Seconds. Uh, yes. See. That was the year before 2000. 2000. So I was, I loved Gone in 60 Seconds. And here's, here's my, here's my life story, Rob. I got in 60 Seconds got a brand new PlayStation two, my first DVD gone in 60 seconds. So, wow. uh, and then gone in PlayStation two gone in 60 seconds. It all then aligned with fast and the furious. It was like for a second, there was like, do I like cars? I don't know anything about <laughs> <Is> this right? <laughs> motors. I don't know anything about anything. And we're at that age where like, you're trying to figure out what your thing yeah, is. Yeah. 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 And do I want to become just, a mechanic? Can I interrupt and say my first DVD was, um, it was Three Kings. It was almost <gasps> Battlefield Earth. Yeah. And then the guy at Blockbuster warned me against getting Battlefield Earth. No. And I had never seen, I had never seen Battlefield Earth. It was, I had just saved up all my money for a PlayStation 2. I bought it. I had like nothing left and I wanted a DVD because it's the format of the future. Right. And all I could afford was Battlefield Earth. And he was like, dude, you don't want to get this movie. And so I was like, all right. I felt embarrassed and I was like, all right, fine. And then, uh, you know, a week or two later, I found Three Kings on sale and that was a way better movie. Yeah. Um, three Kings is great. We Three Kings be yeah. stealing the gold. That one? Yep. 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 That's the only thing I remember from the trailer for the, from the entire uh, movie. <laughs> in any case. Yeah. So but I listen, had, I, listen, one second though, with PlayStation twos, yeah. we just, yeah. let's appreciate for the fact. Cause like, I mean, this was before their time, PlayStation two, the fact that you could lay it down or stand it up and that the PlayStation logo on the DVD kids, this is crazy. You're not going to believe this, but back in the day, your game station, your game, you had like open, you had like unhinge a part of your console to put it like a physical device into it to like play a game or watch a movie. And you could turn that little PlayStation logo, depending on which way your thing was. Wait, you could. Yeah, dude. I didn't know that. Yeah, that little PlayStation logo on the front of your uh, on the front of the on the drive had like a little like uh, hinge, like a little like you could turn huh. it depending on which right. Like, so were, it would match the orientation. Yeah. And I always it kept it. I always kept mine vertical for heat dissipation. Oh, that's smart. I just put it wherever my parents let me, and that was that. Oh my gosh, this is a podcast about Fast and the Furious. This is a Fast and Furious <laughs> podcast. Let's get into Fast and the Furious. Um, I, anyway, I was going to say before I saw Seven in Theaters, in one weekend, I binged all of them and I fell in love with them, you know, uh, because it's just, it, it's one thing I can imagine to see the evolution over 20 years, but to see the evolution in two days, it's just, um, it's weird. It's like, 
I mean, the title of the podcast here is kind of a joke, but kind of not. It's almost like art, but in, in a very accidental way. I just love what came out of the weirdest circumstances. Anyway, let's talk about the movie. Let's let's I mean, I figure we don't need to do you think jump the working this... title of this movie was race wars? I hope not. This is very unfortunate. <laughs> it's very unfortunate. I was going to say it's an unfortunate name for that event. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. Because this, because this movie, I forgot about how much this movie really um, is LA. This movie is LA oh, through so... and through. Um, now, is that why the whole movie is like orange? Is it smog? LA smog? Cause you know, it's you know funny what? you mentioned gone in yes. 60 seconds. Cause that's <gasps> another movie where it's like very Jerry Bruckheimer. Like everything has an orange tint to it. And that, right. that has associated in my mind, LA with just orange yes, hot yes. days. It's funny watching it. I was very, it was, I was like, I was like, Oh my God, did like the, did the entire grand theft auto team just watch this movie and then just make grand theft auto five <laughs> based off of it. Because like all the, the aesthetic, all the buildings. Yes, it is a very, it has that whole, you know what it is though. I think it's like that, like it, it the, that cinematography, that like color palette makes you yeah. feel that, that dry kind of, a constant like heat and like breeze and like like it just well well you know what everyone's sweating in this movie it doesn't matter what scene's oh, yeah. going on everyone's or a little what you're sweaty. doing or what you're doing it's or the most uncomfortable doing. thing ever right right so th- that that whole orangeness gave me the hint of like oh this is like a steamy hot summer in industrial LA. city yes kinda. yes there's you know, no escape there's no shade baby it's like toy story land Right. And it's a very Jerry Bruckheimer thing because he did, he produced Gone in 60 Seconds. You think of all of those early Michael Bay films and they all had that. It's just like everything was crunched and felt, I don't know. It's not something that I thought was a a bad trend in filmmaking at the time, but it does very much like you watch this movie and I felt like it placed it in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's a very specific. Yes, 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 yes. But we we get the, you know, we start off this movie and you know, wow, talk about humble beginnings. It's all about, you know, stealing TV slash VHS VCR right. combos out a of a total truck. Of later, the cop reveals that with that heist, that heist was like 1.2 mil. And that in, in total, they've stole $6 million in Panasonic VCRs and DVD players. <laughs> Which like, I not, not to not to like, well, no spoilers, but now it feels like that's how much collateral damage they cause in like 10 seconds in a, in a modern fast and the furious film. Can I tell you that my favorite part of the cold opening of this movie is that you have three cars and they're like, Hey, we're, we're the bad guys. Right. And the, the, the director's like, these guys are the bad guys. And we want you to know that. Cause we're going to put green lights under their car. Right. So, <laughs> and it's going to look so cool though. I wanted it, green. I wanted light, not green lights maybe, but I wanted lights under a car so bad back then because of that. If you look at my set on YouTube, you'll totally understand that my aesthetic entirely came from the opening of fast and the furious one <laughs> in 2001. <laughs> Which if you think about it, if you're, if you're stealing or you're trying to hijack a truck, there's probably yeah. nothing more Wait, conspicuous than putting neon least, lights under your Maybe your do car. like purple lights or something. Something that's just a little yeah. sleeker and more inconspicuous. Like, what are we doing yeah. with green? Uh, but here's the best part about that is that when they, when the hijack, when the guy jumps into the cab of the semi truck, 
<laughs> yeah. And the semi. Yeah. And when, yeah. And he starts fighting the driver. And when he darts the driver, which I love that, I love that they didn't kill the driver, which right. is something that they kind of, it is the one thing that they are, they love to beat the hell out of you, but they won't kill you. The, the family, the, the, right. the family that's not a family. Everyone else is hyper violent with the gun. You know what I mean? Like, but not the family, really. The fa- right. Vin's always ready want, to drop his gun. They just want the TVs. They want the the VCRs. Right, right, they right. don't. They don't want to hurt anybody. But once the once the thief takes over the pickup, the the uh, the, the the semi truck, uh, and he starts driving it, the yeah. dash turns starts to glow green. Does it? I- yes, <laughs> Rob. Rob, it's just like the director's like, will the audience understand that the bad guys now are driving the truck? Well, I don't know. Let's make sure the gra- the cab lights up neon green. I swear to God, Rob, go watch that's it right very, now. That's very video gamey. Yes, that's it interesting. is. <laughs> what I, I love about that scene also is, so to me, that's where you get the first Hot Wheels moment. And I, you know, when we were getting ready to do this podcast, I was like, I'm not joking. There would be nights where I was just like laying in bed thinking about these movies and just trying to dissect why I love them. And I, I feel like every fast and the furious film has uh, a number of core staples that need to be there for it to be fast and the furious. And I think one of them is the hot wheels moment, which is what I describe as a moment of the movie where the writers clearly scripted it while playing with hot wheels, because it's like, just imagine Mm. two like 10 year olds with, you know, just making the sounds with their mouths. And so the idea of like these cars slipping under a 16 wheeler, it's not as extreme as like it'll get in the franchise, but I think that was no. like the Hot Wheels moment. And of, that's of this crazy mo- because I remember that. Do you remember like the news being like teenagers danger? If as your oh, teenager yeah. have a car and that they just go to the movie theater, uh, well, they're probably doing drugs and driving fast now. <laughs> I mean, <You> know? <laughs> f- future films will start to put a disclaimer in the movie that's like these are done by professionals. Please don't do any of this stuff. Right, like a sort of jackass style. Yes. Disclaimer. Oh yeah. But um, I remember that whole driving under the because tr- it's so funny. You're like, it's so incredible that you. Qualified, you quantified that with that's not as far as the franchise will go a car no. driving underneath the semi because in that movie i remember watching it be like whoa that's yeah exactly that seems that's, dangerous that's that's the stunt and yeah look, they really did it too and you could tell because that 18 wheeler uh you know uh the 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 bed is raised like 20 feet in the air which is not how yes. trucks normally look but yeah yeah the, it still the, looked awesome and the cars lowered the cars lowered and the trucks yeah. hired cuz you drive it, it, i know that you don't do a lot of highway driving you living in new york you know for as long as you have but um my god i'm on the highway constantly for work and i sometimes it's so funny now in my day to day life i will look at semi trucks still now as a 33 <laughs> year old man and be like i can't drive underneath that no, I don't think maybe you could get a power wheels under a, an actual 18 wheeler, but even that sounds dangerous. The best part, the best part, I just want to put this out there right now. And I'm going to repeat this every time we talk about a great scene that's done in this movie. My favorite thing about this and the best thing to remember about every movie you see with car stunts is that typically speaking, they're driving no faster than 35 miles per hour. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, your eye doesn't know with, with like debt, with like the way that they use lens and depth 
uh, in, in shooting film and like focus and like, like it, it, your brain, your brain just at 35 miles an hour, a tire is spinning the same speed. It looks like it's going to be spinning at, at 50, 70 miles an hour. So your brain's just like, oh, that car's moving fast and 35 miles an hour is fast. Uh, but like to think that they're just doing this at 30 miles an hour down like a, a long, empty stretch of highway. Uh, nothing really seems all that dangerous when you're doing when you're going that slow. <laughs> That's the magic of filmmaking. Yeah, man. Um, so after that, we start to get all our introductions. We get I, I what I find fascinating is I, I totally forgot um, that Toretto not only had a garage, but he had a cafe slash grocery Horrible store tuna sandwich. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Grocery store with bad tuna. Why like, would you and, need and, that? And, yeah. And they're like, and, and, he's, and they're, they're like, nobody comes here for the tuna. Well, then why do we have it on the menu? That seems so inefficient. It seems like a real like it's like, Dumb. well, you know, it turns Stop out it's just a money, money on tuna. <laughs> Um, but we start to get like all of these character introductions. I think that it's again, very era specific. I mean, between the, the soundtrack and the, the style of it oh, and, yeah. you know, it's just, um, but it's great. We, we meet Dom, we meet Brian. Um, you know, one of the things that I thought they did with this film that was kind of really brilliant is think about a movie today. I don't think they would have done this is they don't reveal Brian's intentions until like a half hour into the film. Uh, Brian is uh, Paul Walker. Brian is Paul Walker. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Uh, Don't worry. I... By the last episode, you're going to know all of their characters. Oh yeah. I know. Name, I know. I know. Name. I know. I know. I know Vinny. I know Vinny is the crazy one. Yes. Oh my God. And let me tell you something. I ha was a completely unaware of how much, um, Dom's little sister informed uh, my entire palette for women I would love later in life. <laughs> Lord Jesus. Watching that movie was just like, yeah, Paul Walker, uh, you and I have both have fine taste and eyebrows, my friend. Um, <laughs> just, yeah. You know, what's funny. The original, this is what I read when I was like reading into the, the background of, of some of the actors is um, in apparently in the original script, uh, according to Michelle Rodriguez, who played Letty, was that the the movie was originally going to have a love triangle between Dom, Letty, and Brian. Oh, I'm glad that they didn't do that. Yeah, and it was actually Michelle Rodriguez who fought against it, who thought her character, there's no way her character would go for somebody like Brian, like a pretty yes, boy, sort I, of I like showing up. I completely agree. Oh, very wise, Michelle Rodriguez. Very wise. Yeah. I, God, what a great actress. In addition yeah. to that, also, I'm also confused by the fact that Dom and Michelle Rodriguez, Jesus, Rob, we might need, we're, we're, 20 minutes into this and we haven't even got past the freaking restaurant scene. Uh, we, we might need two episodes per movie. <laughs> um, is that uh, at a certain point, Dom's like, yeah, I slept with that guy's sister and he hates me. And I'm like, well, Dom, uh, this, all this rivalry seems real fresh. These wounds seem real fresh. And aren't you like in love with Michelle Rodriguez since she was 16? What's going on there? Like, Ooh, that's a good, I never caught that. I never caught that. Well, you know what, though? There could be the here's the thing. Maybe is that even true? Because I I I wonder at that point, And there's another point in the movie where I wonder, is his goal there is just to intimidate Brian, who's clearly, you know, has has uh, eyes for Mia. You know, is he he's just like, oh, look, our car just got blown up. OK, I slept so with, with that, that guy's aside, sister. what hint, what hint. is fueling the rivalry between the Yakuza, the Yakuza gang or whatever they're called? And um, and Dom, I think it's just all racers rivalry. 
I think all of them have this. Yeah, but, but you see, like the 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 Mexican gang and the black gang, they are all cool with with Dom. You know what I mean? Like they're well. You know what I wonder? And, and this is actually this confused me a little bit because we we'll find out later on, and we're jumping ahead a little bit. But they, you know, Brian and and all of the the cops think that uh, it is that gang who is stealing everything, and so they, you know, they round up Johnny Tran's whole uh, you know group and arrest him, and then find out that everything was purchased legally, which is weird to me because in that scene where they're, um, you know, intimidating uh, the guy by pouring oil down his throat, he mentions that he's their fence. So what are they fencing if all of that stuff was purchased legally? You know what this feels like? You know what this feels like? It's, you know what? You just, you just blew my freaking brain open. That feels like a studio rewrite. That feels like a notes and like a, and like a, that, now that you're saying that that whole oil scene feels like such a um such like a uh like an exposition heavy like studio note like the people aren't going to understand what's going on if you don't do this this and this in this conversation yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> so i don't know i guess in my head canon i thought well they maybe they they they're really good at hiding it but they still steal stuff and so maybe there's a rivalry there between them because they're two okay I see stealing what you're saying. stuff i see what you're saying but um yeah, no, I think there are parts towards the end, too, where watching it more analytically this time, I was like, oh, it feels like things just kind of conveniently wrap up in this scene and then go into the next scene. And it, it maybe felt I think it's kind of like the natural messiness that comes with the the fact that they knew that all along that obviously Dom's crew are the thieves that Brian's looking for. And they're trying to do the whole like red herring thing, but it just didn't fully sell. And I don't know if that's because I for 20 years now know how this movie ends or because I'm thinking in the back of my mind, well, you know, Vin Diesel's, you know, obviously the, the either the co-lead or, you know, supporting actor. So it wouldn't make sense that the bad guys right. are Johnny Tran or any of these other groups. Right. It's gotta you know, be You them. make a good point. Looking at the movie analytically now, I'm thinking of the fact that they introduced that there's robbers at the beginning of the movie. And then uh, they immediately set up, they immediately they don't set up Dom and his gang to be the robbers right away uh, because Brian doesn't. Brian is just trying to infiltrate. He knows that they're they're racers. And so he's just trying right. to get into the race and he knows that that's his way in. Uh, and so it didn't even occur to me that they are kind of doing that little bit of like Pixar misdirection in the beginning where it's like, you know, it's like the good guy is also the bad guy kind of thing. <laughs> and it's confused because also it's like Vin Diesel and they want to make him look like really tough and scary. And it's like, well, you kind of have to pick. Is he going to be the like it? This isn't like even a it's just like it's not a criticism so much as this is this is bound to happen when it be. it's almost too obvious. It's like when you see a super famous actor show up in a movie and like they're playing a seemingly minor part and you're like, well, they wouldn't hire that actor to play a minor part. Right. Clearly like when Willem Dafoe show shows up in something, you're like, Hey, Oh, okay. he's going to show up again. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's that kind of, you almost have to break the through Willem the fourth Defoe wall. Effect, we'll call it <laughs> the Defoe effect. The Defoe, oh, um, yeah. We get our first racing scene pretty early on, which is, uh, it's fascinating to me for a few reasons. One, we have Dom driving, um, a Mazda, which is interesting because throughout the whole franchise, they kind of eventually established this dynamic of like Brian drives the imports and Dom drives the American muscle cars. And this was before that. So they're all in like the neon colored imports. And uh, it just seemed like 
it's it's jarring compared to what you're going to see in like well, you know well, the next. But Dom's movies. using imports to run his, isn't he? Isn't it three Honda Civics? Yeah, so yeah, he's, he's using a, imports to run his his uh, his his missions. Because as he mentions, he never drove the is it the Charger or the yeah I think it's the Charger at the end. Yeah, um, his dad's car because he was terrified of it, and yet that's kind of become the iconic car for him. Uh, so it's like all pre-era stuff. Wait, hold on one second. Is it do they is it canon? Do they establish that they go get the car that smashed up and salvage it and rebuild it? I am not going to answer that. You're going to have to just discover that <laughs> through the films. Okay, okay, okay. I'm so uh, excited. There's so many listeners right now that are just like yelling at the yelling at the <laughs> at the at their car console. And ho- hopefully, plenty who also don't know because this is their first journey through this right, wonderful. Right, right. I, I, God, I just hope so because it's his. It was his dad's car, and you know what? You know what's so indicative of the '90s is that Dom's like because and, and versus if the movie was made today, Dom would have been like that over there. That's my dad on the wall in his garage, and we would have had like a like a a 15 second Ken Burns on like that that picture taped to the wall of like him poorly photoshopped with like an old, like, you know, an old guy. Well, that's a great point that you bring it up because I feel like you see a lot of this in this movie, which is, it feels very simplified. And uh, the word I used was intimate, like all of these scenes, like think to the scene where, um, Dom is first questioning Brian if he's a cop with the shotgun when he was like sn- yes. snooping around the there garage. There is a lot of intimacy in this. It's, yeah. it's shot so close up. It is like today, if you were to do a big budget film like that, it would be these wide shots because they want to show off the giant set that they have. And, you know, it would it, they wanted to like punch up the scale you know but here what? it's it's that shot just, like almost like an indie so film so true and you know what happens though is that they don't they waste no time establishing very rarely do they establish uh, uh once they've established like an area they don't waste any time retelling you where they are at like m- scenes will just jump right back into those areas when they have to and like when they go to that that food market the first time there's like that slow pan down the statue uh, and then it like opens up into the garden of all the other little statues out front of like the food market when they blow up the car. Um, right. Yes. And then immediately after that, Dom and Brian are having a conversation next to the smoldering car, but they look like they're in an entirely different location because they never bothered showing us what was across the street. But now the conversation's happening across the street. So a lot and you don't of people it's like, jarring, you don't need to know. You don't need but, to but know. It, it kind of right. still works. Right. It, it, it does definitely still work because the plot just keeps moving. You don't have time to wait. It's like, right. just like, <laughs> I, I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a fingerprint of, I think a time where you had more of these moderately budgeted movies like today, you know, everyone talks about it's either like a really scrappy indie film or it's like this tent pole summer blockbuster. And I, you had the time in the middle and I mean, they still exist. I just think there might be less of them where, you know, they didn't have the, the money or the, uh, the, the resources to just make a giant set to play in for every sequence. So you have one where it's like, yeah, we're in the corner of this, you know, backyard here and there's a fence and a couple of pallets and we're just going to stay real tight in this space. And it creates this intimacy that, you know, I think you do end up losing later on in the films. It's just a shift in, you know, it's tone. And I think it actually works for the fast and the furious because you see the whole franchise kind of, you know, go off a ramp into like crazy town. Um, but I just found that so interesting because it is it. This is the Fast and the Furious. Yet out of all the movies, it feels the least like what today people, I think, typically think of when they think of a Fast and the Furious. We have a lot of crazy CGI with the, the street race. 
yeah, uh, there is, uh, I was thinking about, there's all of this, like, there's all these composition shots done and, and so many of these uh, racing things and so much slow-mo, you would think that Zack Snyder directed this thing. <laughs> was there a lot of slow-mo? I thought it was all yeah. like weird blurry zoom-ins and like, especially during the race, it was a lot of, yeah, well, it just all right, felt like the camera it, it whips very, around and goes in Allen. one car and then goes It felt the like other. when Paul Walker, when any, anytime it's like, it's like, it's like these drivers have like superhuman skills. Once they, be, yes. once they start driving very fast, they get, they get slowed down to like matrix bullet time a little bit. And like everything slows down. You just got to hit that NOS button. That's the other staple fast and the furious. You need some sort of NOS or booster. Yeah. And you get it in that scene. You actually get two staples. The other one is the sort of glorification of the racer life where, you know, you got all the cars pulling in and the hoods are up and, you know, everybody's surrounded by all these models. And it's just like oh somehow God. they always find a way to work that yeah. into these movies, no matter how yes. the plot changes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, there's Yes. There's a lot of. Th- uh, yes, whenever the whenever like the different the different cultures are together, there's so much of establishing. They do a lot of storytelling, visual storytelling, with all of those little montages, and there's lots of them in the in the movie. Lots of little vignettes that I I think are kind of awesome. And it it shows how little Brian is like. He's really outside the scene because he shows up. He's like, I don't have a crew. I don't have. We're not yeah. all wearing the same color. I have and no they models make him surrounding as white me. As possible. They give him <laughs> Peterson as a last name. Literally, they make him as white as it's Peterson. I think. No, wasn't it Brian? Uh, I know his real last name. Uh, Brian. Brian Spilner. Spilner. Yeah. Brian Earl. They give him Earl. It's like, it's like, is he white enough? I don't know. Let's give him (laughs) Earl as a middle name and his fake identity. Uh, Freaking Ted Levine, man. As that, as his boss is the best, you know, that Ted Levine came up with that. Whatever, whatever character Ted Levine's playing the sergeant. I, can I just say how much I love that? I don't know if it was because they were driven to because of resources or there was a art, art decision but i love that they're like yeah he's a cop and they're working on this big case but we're not going to do like a police uh we're not going to do like a police station we're just going to get a home in the hollywood hills and that's going to be their base of operation we'll write a one line you know to throw away line to explain why they're set up you confiscated (laughs) yeah exactly and you know what it's way more visually interesting than if you go to the same cliche police station that you'd see in a million other movies so it felt very tony stark that place it felt like oh, yeah. it felt like it was like it felt like Nick Fury. <laughs> it had that vibe and it looked cool. And but it also looked super uncomfortable because everyone's just always sweating all the time. Everyone is sweating all the time. I was just talking to somebody and they're like, do you think you could be an L.A. person? I'm like, I love air conditioning way too much to live in, on the <laughs> West Coast of anywhere. Like, what is going I mean, on? I mean, Why don't LA, it's, I don't think it's as sweaty as that, but for oh. sure. Wherever all those locations were definitely not summer times in LA, dude, it's definitely sweaty. And the problem is no one in LA owns air conditioning. They're just like the breeze, the breeze. It's so great. I'm like, no, it's not that great. Give me air conditioning. Yeah. So we've got this, uh, you know, obviously we got the action packed uh, street race of can Brian I just say real loses. quick that the Wikipedia for this movie goes to the level of saying that uh, the first sentence of the plot is on a deserted highway, a heist crew driving three modified black fifth generation Honda Civic <laughs> coupes. It's like, wait a minute, what nerd wrote this plot? This, this was pulled. It was pulled directly from the novelization. <laughs> 
Fast and the Furious at novelization is can that be the name of this podcast, please? <laughs> we'll just we just describe and read out the whole movie. Yeah, um, with lots I, of adjectives. I like I was saying earlier, I like that. we So we've, we've established these characters. We know that Brian wants to race. He races. He loses. The cops show up as expected. And, you know, he surprisingly comes to the rescue of Dom. And, you know, he goes to this party where we start to get like those, you know, uh, you know, he's he there's that th- that line when he's like, you know, you have any any beer you want unless it's a Corona or, you know, it, you can have any uh, beer you want so long as it's a Corona which becomes a bit of a running, not gag, but that's just Dom's drink is Corona. That's going to be something that lives on. Yeah, that was such a product placement thing. Like, I loved it. I don't know the exact quote, but it was a Henry Ford quote about you could have a Model T in any color as long as it's black. And that's what he was playing off of, which. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I don't know who wrote it. I would love to think that Vin just ad-libbed it and he's a big fan of car history and, you know, he thought this would be clever. Wow, really? That gives me, like, a level of appreciation for the quality of the writing of this movie. That, <laughs> if that, I if, mean, that's the, that's the only one that I got. I don't know if there's anything that... I don't think there are any no other, other there's no other like model. That. There's no other classic... You know what, though? They mentioned Detroit at one point, and I like that. Okay, Yeah. Yeah. I think this movie might be the only one where it goes like that. Oh, I don't such a shame. I don't know. We'll we need see. to do a can we do fast is what are they up to now? Ten, nine? Nine's coming out this summer. Okay, hear me out. Fast and the Furious Ten is a national treasure crossover. Oh boy. <laughs> That's Bruckheimer too, so you can just throw that orange filter on it. Right. Oh my god. <laughs> national what was treasure, the thought there? Is that they're they're gonna team three. up to steal <laughs> A Model T or something? Well, no, at like a certain point, a Model T is involved. Like Henry Ford's Model T and the muffler, there's like a diamond that fits into like okay, the, a yep. Sphinx's eye. And when they go to steal the Model T, Dom's already there trying to steal it too. And they're like, Dom, what's going on? It's like, my family needs to eat and I've got to steal some gold or whatever, and you know? I, he's hooked up Nas to the Model T. So it goes yes. from, you know, 15 right. miles an hour right, to right, 80. Right. Um, but Okay, half hour in, we finally learned that Brian's a cop, which I thought, you know, is a cool way to approach it, especially yes. the first time you're watching this where you really have no idea who Brian is. Um, that That's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, this is where you start to see these little bits of groundwork laid into the franchise. Like there's the barbecue scene. You know, they're really laying into the, you know, Vinny is just constantly like, He's a cop, Dom. Dom, he's a cop. Don't trust him. Yeah. And <laughs> Dom's like, no, I we're okay. Don't Vinny worry. Is so aggressive. Oh, he's so angry. Right. And I guess, and I guess like right um, as soon as they reveal that he's a cop, immediately he starts his they start the investigation plot line. And he and then like the guy comes in and he orders the three. They're, pr- the, they're pressuring the, him so much, by the way. You gotta we need to know who to arrest. We need these truckers, they're gonna arm themselves any day now. We gotta know who we're arresting here. Let let the man do his work. He's doing his job. Come on. Right. He's doing his job. He's undercover. This is why they you shouldn't put um uh um I can't think of the word on police officers for writing tickets. Oh, quotas. Quotas. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Quotas. That's the word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is why you can't put a quota on an undercover cop, man. Yeah. 
Just get, what do we got a deadline here? I will say, I, this was a note I wrote while I was watching the movie. It felt like that first scene where you find out he's a cop and they're in the, the house, that that scene was generated by a Mad Lib bot because it's just like <clears throat> the police went to work at a Hollywood house built by Eddie Fisher and they all drank iced cappuccinos. Like whatever there was a decision that is cliche what police happened? scene. Why go the, the ice cappuccinos? Why are they? Why the ice? <laughs> and why the frothy a- whipped cream top? So everyone has a Belgian dip by the time they're done taking their first sip. It's what not is even going like on? A side detail that, like, oh, if you look carefully, they're drinking ice cappuccinos. And not, he's like, no, no, let's uh, let's all get ice cappuccinos. Brian, you want an ice cappuccino? Get them, make them some ice cappuccino. I guess it's because they're playing off of the idea that they've confiscated this house in the you know hollywood and that's what they would have in there not a regular coffee machine but like it just all felt like it's like they looked at a path and they went what would a cliche movie do we're taking the left turn and going in the opposite direction coffee no they always drink just black coffee right out of the cliche you know standard coffee pot they're gonna have iced cappuccino in this nice house built by eddie fisher so now there's like a Eddie Fisher and then thus and Carrie Fisher decaf. and a Star Wars connection. And oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't even think of the Star Wars connection. <laughs> oh. I I seriously I seriously you I don't even I I I'm completely at odds with the fact that they are sipping on whipped cream topped decaf iced cappuccinos. I love I it. Just, I just can't. I can't. It's it's kind of like the early steps of a movie that, you know, I think part of the charm of this franchise, and we talked about this before we recorded, is like it is a franchise that takes itself seriously in crafting these films, but doesn't take itself seriously in writing them. And so you get these movies that have goofy moments and ridiculous details, and yet they work because it's not like a sci-fi made for TV movie where they're all we're in on the joke, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, no, they're trying to make a really good action movie, but they also know they're not making citizen Kane. So they're not trying to make everything super grounded and serious all the time. And that makes it beautiful. Beautiful. Yes. Yes, It really, it really does. It really highlights the fact that they, the, the, and, and even like we just said earlier with the simplicity of the way that they just move things forward, it is just like a masterclass in making a sma- a blockbuster. Yeah. Oh yeah. You mentioned that, you know, people start coming in and buying parts. I've never worked retail, but I didn't know that point of sale systems when you put in the order, like big JPEGs of the thing you're Turn selling. Turn into a PowerPoint presentation. Start by popping up in company. front of all of your data. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was fun. I love how it's like contractually, it's like, okay, so um, we, uh, uh, <laughs> I like Honda returning back to their corporate center. They're like, all right, we just spent five million dollars to be heavily featured in this new movie uh and we need some we need some like uh screen um animation stuff for them so um becky you know how to use powerpoint right because <laughs> that's all it, it was just powerpoint animations they were just powerpoint yep. animations <laughs> he's immediately suspicious and then he breaks in yeah and i'm like I mean, how he, is this he's... possible and then i remember people didn't have rings back then Oh yeah, <laughs> for a second I was confused. I didn't realize you meant that kind of ring. Oh, I was Nest like, cams. On your Sorry, finger? Nest, Nest cams, <laughs> Alexa, it's motion like, sensors, that yeah, sort of thing. It's like nowadays you break through the ceiling of a of like a chop shop, and Siri's going to tell somebody. 
And, you know, you've got uh, got Brian working a little bit outside the law. Yeah, he's undercover. I don't think that means you can legally just, um, you know, I don't think you can just legally break into wherever you want. But that's not how he works. You know, if he's got to bend or break the rules, he'll do it. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that wouldn't really hold up in court. No, uh, yeah, the case they're building, probably on very shaky ground. Yeah, it turns out that the FBI had to let that guy go because you collected all the evidence illegally. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a way better plot twist. <laughs> oh. You know, Tilda Swilton shows up as a lawyer and she's just like, gentlemen. What were you thinking? What were you thinking? You put you made Brian an undercover officer. He didn't even finish the academy and you grabbed him and you threw him in there because you thought he could race and he couldn't even do that at first. He was losing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But you know what? I love that they set up a uh, like a fake uh, like history for Brian uh, uh, Shmulahan or whatever his last name is, uh, because they Dom's like, hey, bro, the Internet is crazy. <laughs> Oh yeah, I could find you could find anything on the internet. It's anything. like yeah, you could go to YouTube and search for Midway to Main Street or Disney Dan and learn everything about Disneyland, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I've been oh. binging, bro. I learned so much about Autopia from Rob. <laughs> it's my favorite I ride at Disneyland, be, bro. I assume most of the people listening to this will know us from our theme park stuff. But yeah. for the few who just decide to Google Fast and the Furious podcast and somehow come across it, that's going to be a very confusing two minutes the for way, them. I found two Fast and the Furious podcasts while searching for this on Plex. Mm-hmm. The, would you like to know the puns? Oh, yeah. I, I might have heard them. Uh, the I cast did a and the Furious. Yep. The cast of the Furious. And then the Fast and the Curious, which I don't know yeah, if it was a, a, a podcast about cars or sexuality, but I'm here for or either both, one. Or both. Or yeah. both. Yeah. I guess there's people who find cars sexy. I think I saw one that was called like uh, "No One Likes the Tuna" or you know "Tuna Without oh, the Crust" to play great. on, which is that's a really great. good reference there. Yeah, right. right, um, right. So, uh, uh, so we start to get a little bit of Dom's backstory throughout the movie too. I found it interesting that uh, he's talking to Brian about the date that you know he's going to go on with Mia. Uh, which, by the way, wow, Mia really knows how to twist the knife when she sets up that date with Brian by Lord Jesus. <laughs> Tell me about it. It's like, does everyone hate Vinny? I mean, he's kind of, he is a jerk. So like, I mean. I just think he just needs more support and has more emotional support. So I guess so. He's very emotionally stunted, Vinny. We need to open up. And also, Vinny, what are you trying to shame Brian for doing the dishes? Like that's some sort of like you don't need a you don't need to assign a gender well, to that Rob, task. I do on. the dishes made, all the time. Right. If they made a musical on Broadway about this, it would be the subtitle would be called Toxic Masculinity. All right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, Lord Jesus, this movie is like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I, I found it fascinating also, that trigger warning. There is an F word in this movie. Not the oh, real yeah. bad F word. The the not the like not the, like the oh, one yeah, that no, I say no. all the time. The one I I don't say all the time because it's awful. It's a hate slur. So it's like mm-hmm. that caught me off guard. It's like whoa, uh, that put this that right there put this movie in the nineties for me with the biggest pin on the map you could possibly have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, it's uh, I, I lost my train of thought, but that was a really good point. Yeah, it dates the movie very. Also, uh, who? It, what? What? What man? 
after watching this movie, didn't look around and just be like, I want a woman who loves me so much. I come home from breaking the law and she's like, baby, let me rub you. Let me take you upstairs and massage you. It's like, <laughs> what, Michelle Rodriguez? Come on. That was fantastic. You know what? And here's the th- here's, here, here's a funny thing they decided not to carry on from the first movie. It was the fact that that scene illustrated the lack of family. Well, I guess it really illustrated Paul Walker's commitment to family. So, I mean, it was all necessary. But like, my God, Dom's family, they're all they're, they're like dirt bags. Like, does Paul Walker show up and just give everybody a little bit of a heart? You know, like the Tin Man? Well, I think his family ends up being because you've got, uh, you know, it's Letty, it's Mia, it's Vinny, it's Leon, who gets like two lines in the whole movie and we never really see again. Um, it's also his character. I have to actually scroll up to my notes because I kept I kept calling this character Mouse from the Matrix. But it's Jesse. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. The, the, the computer guy. Um you know, that's I think there's the family there. And and it's, it's interesting that we start to get that backstory, which I think in this film, it's interesting to see you could break down these scenes from the perspective of what was it trying to accomplish for this one standalone movie that I imagine in the eyes of producer might just be one movie versus what it ends up establishing for a 10 film franchise that, you know last multiple decades and like you get that background and i feel like okay that's all this is all here to be the red herring it's to really pitch the idea that you know dom's a nice guy they're a nice family there's no way they could be the ones stealing all of this stuff so that you're shocked when it find you find out that they are uh but yet what it ends up doing is is establishing this idea that he's he's really dedicated to family and that family isn't just your blood relatives it's the people who you know you're always there for and are always there for you and um oddly uh He's talking to Brian about Mia's upcoming date, and I I thought it was interesting that that's when he decided to pivot into, come with me, I want to tell you the story about how I almost beat somebody to death. I wondered if that was another older brother intimidation moment, where he's just like, okay, so you're about to go on a date with my sister, I'm going to tell you about why I went to prison. Yeah, it's, he has a lot of, he has a lot of hostile, um, well, I think that, I think that a lot of those moments are definitely them saying to the audience that Dom is definitely like an aggressive masculine. Like he he's always holding that dominant. Oh my God. His name is Dom. Like, I mean, like he's, <laughs> he's that, that just blew my freaking brain open. He has to maintain that dominance over the group. Yeah. And, and you know, he's very silverback gorilla. It's, it's interesting how much they leaned into, I didn't like I wasn't sure what they were going for with the scene, because on the one hand, I I guess what they wanted to do was really establish that there was a personal reason behind this, like lapse in judgment that caused him to go to jail. Uh, But they also really lean heavy into like making you sympathetic for the person he beat nearly to death because he's like, yeah, he's you know, he he works as a janitor now and he has to take the bus to work. And it's just like, oh, I guess maybe that's him being um, uh really uh remorseful for what he did uh to try and really make sure you know like okay (laughs) even when you find out that he is the guy who's stealing all this stuff he's still a good guy because he was you know he didn't feel bad he felt bad for beating that guy right it's it's very much like the joker corporations have insurance kind of like kind of like they definitely put him in the in the limelight of like He's 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 Robin Hooding. Like he was a bad guy. He was bad. He did bad things. He's now trying to just do right by his people and take care of them in a world where it, it is not very fair to people like him. And notice he didn't kill the guy. So still no killing. Yeah. Yeah. Dom is Batman. He's the Batman of the Fast and the Furious franchise. 
this is where I think the film starts to uh, sort of get that railroad tunnel vision effect where I think they know how they wanted it to end. And so they start to set up things that they're willing to interrupt so that they can then, you know, just progress things towards that ending because I, I found it uh, interesting this time watching it, noticing that, you know, there's a whole scene where, you know, after those fake arrests or they were real arrests, but they ended up being useless arrests. Uh, Brian gets this real, you know, uh, final moment where it's like, you got, you know, a day or two to, to lock this up or, you know, we're going to just start arresting people. And so he's, he's like, I need to get in on that whole scene where they go out to eat. Uh, he, they race a Lamborghini or Ferrari or something. And yeah. That's what <laughs> and a lifestyle. You can't even, can't even go get lunch without getting pulled into a street race. No, it's amazing. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. But he's like, I need to, I need more money. And I know you got a thing on the side. And Dom is essentially, he gives him the directions to race wars. And he's like, come to race wars. We'll yeah, see like how he you wasn't do. wasn't already going to bring him to race wars. That's anyway. what I was thinking. And I was also wondering, we never find out how Brian did at race wars. Cause he never raced at race wars. Right. You know, if, exactly. It's like, wait a minute, Dom, you said, come to race wars. Let's see how you do. And then you're going to pull your last final heist before <laughs> Brian races. So then why, what was the point of, what was the point of that scene? Other than, the desperation of just being like, oh, I have 36 hours. I've got to crack this case. I, I think that's I think it's that I think it's the continued attempt at misdirecting the audience into thinking, because remember, we don't get confirmation that they're the thieves until, you know, they I'm it's pretty very, sure you, you, you don't think that the audience at that point when he's like, I know you got something going on, like that's the moment where you're like, because like you've I eliminated everyone know, else. I think we know. I don't know if the writers wanted us to know. I see what you're saying. Right. Until that reveal of like they run off or maybe they did want us to know. But I it felt like um, I don't know. It felt like they were just trying to keep dragging that bait a little bit longer until we get to the point where you, it's just inevitable. And that's when Mouse or uh, I keep forgetting his Jesse, Jesse, you know, runs off after losing that race. Yeah, and, and how irresponsible. And like, here's the thing. Like what a plot device to, you already set up the hole in your crew to bring Brian in. So like the fact that like, it just feels, it just feels lazy. The writing feels lazy. That's all. And that, well, that's, that's where I thought it was like an, it's, they knew what the ending they needed to get to. And so they knew what they had to do to get to it. And, and this yeah. was the way within the, the constraints they had uh, to do that. And uh, that's when it just starts to pick up pace because like he says, we'll see how you do it. Race wars, but we never really know how he does at race wars. And then it just kind of goes rapid fire from there where, you know, they are going to go do that, uh, that, you know what though? Nobody wants to know how a white guy does at race wars, So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's just like, give me all the stats except for the white guy. <laughs> I was also very fascinated with how uh, put together race wars was in that. You yeah. Know, it was very like a there, burning you... man Coachella thing. Yeah. 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 You know what though? And that's probably for the best. The government's just right. like, yeah, let the children go race safely in the desert. You know, that doesn't stop there being, uh, you know, under the table gambling because you see Letty, she destroys that guy. Right. Oh, my Easiest God. Easiest yeah. two grand ever made me think maybe I should get into racing if that's how much I can make. Um, as somebody who's not into cars, I found it very fascinating because I, I wonder how much like the street races, like the first street race we see. No, even that was just like a straight line. It's the, that's the theme of this movie, right? A quarter mile at a time. Yeah, they're it's, drag you know, races. A yeah, to B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Later it's on, you, you get more two. complex tr races. It's and cars so, one, not cars two. Isn't it very 
pay to win where it's just like, well, what matters most is, you know, how much money you spend on your car parts. Yeah. Yeah. But the gamble is you don't, the gamble is you don't know how much money the other person spent on car parts. Yeah. So it's really kind of a blind gambling a little bit. It's not to say that there isn't some skill involved. Obviously you got to know when you're, I guess, shifting gears or hitting that NOS. But um, I just thought it was interesting because it is I, very pay to play. It is very, very. Pay- and yeah, I don't play. And I see. And the other thing is, like, I don't I know that a lot of it's skill. Don't get me wrong. Right. Uh, because like driving at those speeds is, is insane. Oh, yeah, that's it's hard. To, yeah. It's, you make one mistake uh, and you. And like, I didn't play enough Gran Turismo where you had to, like, customize your cars and stuff to, like, know all that stuff. You know, like I was like Midnight Run was about where I left off with with car games. Driver, maybe. So like I wasn't, it, this didn't do much for me in terms of sucking me into car games. Where but I, I think, it, I think it evolves throughout the series. I think we'll start to see it in the next couple of movies. It really gets uh, more complex. And here's the great. crazy thing that I didn't know you could do is if you need to hide something, just park it behind a water tank. I had no idea you could do that. <laughs> I had no idea. It's like cut to Dom's Nobody secret. looks at the water tank ever. Right. It's like, I'm wasting all this garage space on my dad's truck that I don't ever drive. It's done. I could park this thing in like a U-Haul. It's really painful just to look at the thing. It scares me. I don't know why I'm not just keeping my, <laughs> my danger, my danger rob cars in here. You know, um, we go to the robbery. It's, this is the one I'm assuming the setup. And I don't know if they said it outright. I don't remember, but. I'm assuming the idea is they're doing this job haphazardly because they need to make money to pay off Jesse's loss because they kind of run in, they run off in a hurry. Well, it was like, this was the last big score is what he said. Like, this is it. Like we do this and we're, we're done. I wonder why it seemed to have been going so well for them so far. Right. Well, maybe they caught, well, you know what though? They know that the other guy got raided. So maybe they're like the heat is up. Okay. Yeah. That's a good point. You know what I mean? And Somebody, so, uh, somebody's out there looking but for But did us. they establish anywhere in the movie where he need what like he needs? A, does he need a great sum of money for anything in particular? Uh, did you see that grocery store? I don't think it supports itself. Well, that's that's what I mean. Like, <laughs> like, does he, but I'm saying like, does he does he like usually it's like Papa's got a big dream. He's oh, going no, to they... he's going to win one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. He's going to open up his own pizza shop. You know, it's like a little bit like that. There And uh, there's none of that. I did, like, the like, big what corporation was... wants to buy Toretto's garage. And so right. he needs to yeah, come up with yeah, 200 yeah, yeah, grand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in addition to the fact that him. this guy is a monster, why doesn't he have and he's honest? Why isn't he just a mechanic? The amount of money he could make as a nice, honest family mechanic. Well, he's, he's he can't. That's what Brian was saying. He's like, I know you're not a, you're not putting money under the hood of the, these cars with, you know, oil changes and tune ups. You know, it's got to be more than that. Right, 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 right. It's we live in a world where the racing scene is so expensive we that you society. can own a grocery store. You can own a garage and that's still not <laughs> profitable enough to fund your hobby. It's an expensive right. hobby. So right. how is everybody into this hobby? What is everybody else doing to pay for all this stuff is what I want to know. I guess crime is what we're going to learn, right? Crime, crime, all this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, crime, I think, is the answer. We've got very violent truck drivers, which is a weird contrast from I recently watched Goodfellas uh, for the first time in a long time. And it's funny how they also rob trucks. But they just hold the they hold the truck drivers at gunpoint, and the truck drivers like I'm just a truck driver. I don't own everything back there. I'm not invested in this. But here they want to defend their those VCRs. Right, 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 right. And I think it. And I think that they kind of hinted to that where the cops are like the 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 drivers are taking up. They're taking up arms. They're they're taking up. They're they're defending themselves now. You know. Yep. And the police don't want that. No, the so, police don't want that at all. 
but the police, interestingly enough, aren't involved in this. It's it, you, it leads to it it, 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 it subverts this movie. Also, sub, the other thing, Rob, here's another important thing about the art of this movie it subverts expectations a lot. And so, yes. you're expecting there to be a big cop showdown at the end, and there's not a big cop showdown at the end. The police have very little to do with the actual events of this movie, interestingly enough. Partially, I'd imagine, by Brian's design. I mean, he calls in the medevac for for Vinny, but he also never calls in the police to, like, stop the robbery because he's invested in them as, as part of the family now. And I think it works better for it. Like, I was going to mention that, that that truck robbery scene's kind of um, fun because it's... I try to think of these scenes of like, well, what would a more cliche Hollywood movie do here? And maybe like the brakes would be out on the truck or there'd be a cliff up ahead or there'd be something. And like, I wouldn't ever in a million years imagine, oh, well, the the, the tension in this scene is that Vinny's arm is going to get caught in a wire and that's going to he's going to start bleeding out because his right, arm's yeah. all tied up. Like the one so character weird the gang for this all, is, the one the one character the gang's already all tired of is going to get tied up <laughs> with a homicidal truck driver and everyone's going to like risk their lives to save them. Yeah. Uh, and it's like uh, if they had done that, if they had done it the opposite way, like <gasps> if they had drugged the sister in to replace Jamie and like and uh, and then like she got stuck or something. Oh, that would have been so like Paul Walker's character would have went like full Hulk. It would yeah. have been great. He went to win yeah. Captain America, but uh, which he kind of does, by the way. Paul Walker is is early two thousands car enthusiast Captain America. I just want to put that out there. Paul Walker's a beast in this movie. He's insane. Oh, just wait. Oh, just really? Wait. I mean, uh, I think all of them kind of. Uh, when I compare these jokingly to the Marvel films, it's only half jokingly. I do think no, it's you. You know what? Oh my God, you're right. Complete that thought because it, it, you're blowing my. They brain. they will. I mean, you've got this elaborate, uh, growing backstory to this connected film universe that now has a spinoff series with Hobbs and Shaw. They are becoming more and more like superheroes with each film, and it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's. <laughs> the Captain America one is a good it's a good comparison, I think, for Brian. Yeah. And and is Dom the Winter Soldier? Uh I guess in that case, yes, because just because, you know. What Bucky is the rock and... then? Is the rock the Falcon? Mm, I don't know. We might have to do a whole segment towards the end of this series <laughs> yeah. where we, we try and do one to one matchups yes. <laughs> these characters. But it's it's always been my Confused, like I've been so confused at like why Universal keeps trying to make the monster cinematic universe happen. Like nobody cares about Frankenstein Universal. Stop trying to make Frankenstein happen. This is your Marvel Cinematic Universe. Bring the monsters into Fast and Furious. We don't need it. We got there are already monsters in the Fast and the Furious. Not actual <laughs> monsters, but you know. You know what? Paul Walker is to cars. Monsters. Paul Walker is to cars what Brendan Fraser was to mummies. All right. Like he yeah. really like they, they Paul Walker was a classic American blonde. Like, you know. Well, and also, I mean, not to go too far ahead into the franchise and this I again, not, wouldn't do not spoilers, oh, okay. but um, Paul Walker, not Brian, but Paul Walker was a big car enthusiast and was very invested in this oh, franchise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, that's unfortunately how he passed is I think oh, it, was, right. it was in one of one of like he had like a whole bunch of cars. And uh, same thing with um, uh, Vin Diesel. He got very invested in this franchise. They, it was a very important to both of them. And 
very sadly, you know, um, Vin and Paul became like very close friends on this this film franchise. So as oh, you really? watch these movies, yeah, like the whole family thing, I think what makes it really cool is that it's not only a film, you know, through line, but it it becomes an actual element of these films is a lot of these people were very close and you know it they kind of grow as a family behind the scenes and you know we'll get into it but like vin diesel played a pretty key role in stopping this franchise from dying out early on so you know that's incredible if you could (laughs) if you (laughs) if you could go and george lucas fast and the furious one my question to you would be would you leave in I owe you a 10 second car at the end, or would you have cha- Would you change the line to just Paul Walker saying family? Oh no. For reasons I won't say, I think you should leave the 10 second car in there. Oh really? Okay. Okay. okay yeah. Okay. okay. If I, just, I had I, a George I, Lucas, these movies, I'd go in and un CG Paul Walker's blue eyes in the last shots of these movies. Did you notice that they like artificially what? made his eyes bluer? I'm convinced you what? go watch those final I think that shots that might of the just movie. Be the those color, eyes... the cinematography, like the palette, the co- whatever, I don't know filmmaking you do, like whatever filter or lens, like whatever they were doing, like the, whatever they, they turned up the, the gain or the contrast or something. They just, they pumped up the color on this. Like, well, crazy. it looks like the dude was like, you know, he was taking the spice from Dune. He had like super blue eyes, like white Walker level. I was going to say <laughs> Paul Bettany and uh, Da Vinci code. Very distracting blue eyes, but um, yeah. Okay. So it's funny. We, we get towards that ending. I, I do like that. The, I think in a film of that era of the nineties, that um, that heist attempt would have been the end of the movie. It would have, you know, it would have ended with yes. them having a scene and then the mm-hmm. helicopter taking off. And the movie's just kind of, I think ended a little bit more abruptly back then. Uh, whereas now they have more of a, you know, uh, falling action resolution stage and here it goes right back to now a confrontation between dom and brian uh which kind of conveniently resolves itself when um mouse shows up (laughs) yeah when jesse shows up um and then you know is and is violently gunned down over over uh what was it a jetta (laughs) <laughs> over yeah yeah over a jetta yeah over a jetta well no That's... i believe it was at that point it was the fact that they were trying to hurt him because dom punched him in the face at the that's ra- true at race there's wars. more to it race that, wars yeah. like got turned up at race wars yeah <laughs> um and then we get that other chase scene where now you know and and i you know i'm not gonna talk about the later movies but i think it's fascinating and we'll come back to it that you get this you have this in this final scene, this duality of uh, you've got Brian going after them, but he is now Brian, the cop who probably wants to arrest him. And then you've got Dom going after them and he's Dom and he's probably going to go kill him. And it's this weird. They both want kind of the same end, but through different means. And it's almost like they're racing together, but they're not racing together. It's almost like they're racing themselves, too. And it just kind of they kind of give up at the end where it's like, I don't think there's a something you could put on paper where you can logically explain. Okay. And then they, they kill the guys who killed Jesse and then they drag race like what, but that's what they do. It's just suddenly he catches up to Dom and they're at the, the, the red light and is like, now it's time. Now we drag race. And that's, you know, what a way to end this film. 
Yeah, it really is a phenomenal. Let's let's drag race to a train that we don't see coming, but is going to time itself perfectly. Yep. And that is where <laughs> I think. So the other staple of the Fast and the Furious that I think we get is uh, the visual spectacle, which I think is different from the Hot Wheels moment. The Hot Wheels moment, I think, has more to do with what you're doing with cars uh, in a way yes, that's just like that's fun. really great comparison, Rob. Yes, the the final scene and the first scene are great, v- v- perfect visual comparisons of Hot Wheels uh, heist opening uh, movie, and then just a visually stunning. Right, finale. we need to do something cool. Let's get this car to flip over. Let's get the train in the background, like very Michael Bay ish like just a visual spectacle that has less to do with what the car is pulling off more to do with just cool action moment. And that's what I I think every fast and the furious is going to have the hot wheels moment, that visual spectacle, that sort of um, glorifying of the racing scene. And then NOS, those four things, you get those four pillars. This was a corporate entity. They'd be like, these are our four pillars of success. Oh my God. To the entire success of that, energy drink that looked like a bottle of NOS entirely hinge on the success of this franchise. I bet because I never drank it. NOS was no, not at all. We need to get one for the next We We both need to get one for the next recording. Not to say that NOS was new when Fast and the Furious came out, but I'm pretty sure it was popularized by Fast and the Furious. You don't think I, I no. when Fast and the Furious came out, it was like balls. Remember B A W L S Mm -hmm. and orbits like the, the drink with goo in it. Well, uh, okay, I just looked it up. NOS Energy Drink was introduced in 2005, so four years after Fast and the Furious came out. Fast and the Furious. Someone got smart. Someone put two and two together and Shark Tank the hell out of that. Oh, my gosh. And then we've got that brother moment of, you know, uh, Vin Rex's car. Brian's got him. He's got him dead to rights. If he wanted to arrest Dom, he could have, but he gives him his keys. He owed him a 10-second car. concussion. Dom has a concussion. Dom just flipped his car and, 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 and Brian ran over to him. It's like, Dom, what's going on? And Dom's in Dom. He's like in shock. He's like, no, I, I don't. Yeah. And that's, I think the last time you'll see anybody in a concussion when they should get a concussion. Do they all start wearing seatbelts? Is that the difference? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, they wear some seatbelts, I guess, but you know, uh, is I that, think- is that a responsibility they take on in later films that everyone puts a seatbelt on when they, when they drive? Because I feel like that's a, that's a responsibility thing. That well, you know what happen. it is? I think they, they find a clever way to make it look cool in that you never see anybody like, you know, across the shoulder, click, click, let's go. It's always those like racing harness straps that they're into. Oh, and they're pulling down or they're, they're like cinching or something. Yeah. And they look oh, cool. That's, so that's it's like, great. We're safe and we look cool. If I yeah. could cinch myself into my front seat of my car like a like a Jansport backpack you bet your ass I'd be doing that <laughs> yeah I wanted when I was in high school I wanted a car where I just wanted the least automated car possible I wanted a switch for everything so it'd feel like I was just firing up a ship like a spaceship when I was driving and then I started driving and I was like that's a terrible idea why that's would I ever idea. want yeah. that's <laughs> that? a terrible idea that's so inconvenient th- that was so just... funny I thought that your explanation to me of like no I th- this is honest to god I thought this is where you're going with your whole seatbelt thing you're like no 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 they don't do the click click uh, the, the, the props department goes out of their way for the rest of these movies to install that kind of seatbelt that like goes over your, sh- your shoulder when you close the door by itself <laughs> Every action movie has a 10 second pause where they just wait yeah, for it to slowly it has go a over. mom minivan seatbelt thing. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Don't put it in drive yet. Don't put it in drive yet. Okay, let's go. Now we can go. 
what happened to those things? That was the coolest, right? I guess that was guess. like that was like the mom van equivalent of like the Matrix phone, like cell phone. Right. Like it's what it's open. what the Jetsons probably predicted at right. some point, right. and everyone loved. It. And then they're Did, like, it takes question. forever for this. We got to get maybe we need to get yellow shoes on the phone or whoever the yellow shoes equivalent is of uh, Fast and Furious. We need we need a moment of brevity in one of these films where someone gets into a car and the seatbelt has to like robot retract over their shoulder <laughs> gosh i can't wait for you to watch these movies oh really um, oh i can't wait, I can't I, wait. that yeah. that exact scene doesn't exist but you know i think you might be happy with what you get oh, okay um, there's a lot of seatbelt brevity is what you're saying well no i don't want to build up your expectation there's not a ton of seatbelt brevity but there are moments seatbelt brevity by the way is a and great I think band of moments. name <laughs> seatbelt brevity is a great band name we claim it even though we're not musicians what's going on detroit it's seatbelt brevity <laughs> I love SB. Uh, all right. So, I mean, that's the Fast and the Furious. He first drives merch. off into the distance. We already figured out merch in the first episode. Seatbelt awesome. brevity. This this series is going to be amazing. <laughs> Just some facts to throw out there. This one was directed by Rob Cohen, who also directed movies like Dragonheart, Triple X, another Vin Diesel movie, and most recently Hurricane Heist, which heavily marketed itself as from the director of the fast and the furious. I saw hurricane heist and it felt like he was, it was the sci-fi problem that he's too in on his own joke and it just didn't land. Oh, but this movie did really well. You know, it had a $38 million budget, uh, globally. What was it rated? Uh, I think it was a PG 13. Yeah. It's definitely the, the sex scenes were definitely PG 13 sex scenes. This wasn't R. The there wasn't an R. I don't even did anyone say the F word in this. No, just Ever, the well, bad I mean, they F-word. said the F. They well, they, they the definitely said F-word, the F word yeah. in this. Ooh, uh, yikes! <laughs> but because uh, um, every good PG thirteen gets one F word, I guess they use the one F word. Maybe it's interchangeable. Uh, yeah, I would. I would bet because also they were trying to market this widely, and our movies I don't think do nearly as well no, because of that. And so this did two hundred and seven million. So it did really well. The, uh, no doubt there was going to be a sequel after this. Um, pulled one review roger ebert said not a great movie but it delivers what it promises to deliver and knows that a chase scene is supposed to be about something more than special effects and i think that uh i think yeah, that's it a does. good summary you know what that is you know and that also dials back into what you said about the film being intimate and he's very true it it is a very intimate film in that you're seeing the decision making of the drivers in a way that you don't see in any other kind of movie that handles uh, cars in, in this way, even down to like mission impossible or like when Ethan hunt is on a bike, you don't see him torquing the, like the, 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 the handle to like go faster. You just see him zoom across the screen and, and taking those little moments of like, of like, you know, Brian looking at his laptop, closing the laptop, looking at this thing, flipping the screen or the screen slides out of the dash and flips open and a thing pops up or you see them pressing the buttons on the, on the drive or shifting the gear or like turning up the air conditioning, having all of these moments really does add to the the intimacy and like what driving is about. It's very like, ba- like baby driver even didn't baby driver just did it with like earbuds. Like this really took you into the intimacy of driving. And I like that a lot. Right. And I think a common criticism people make towards this series is like, Oh, well they're not even about racing anymore. The, you know, the originals were about racing and I don't think that's necessarily the case. I look at this movie as a, a, like a crime movie it's it's an undercover cop trying to seek out criminals it just yeah, it's is, an la cop movie it's, but a, it's, it's an la cars. cop movie yeah and i think the, the trend that you're going to see with this franchise that makes me love this franchise is that 
these movies feel very unique. And this one, if I had to, and I am not the only one who's done this, plenty of people have made this comparison, but this is point break with cars. And that's what the Fast and the Furious is. Right. And what's right, great right. is that's not what any of the other movies are going to be. They're all going right. to be their own thing. Right. And that is kind of nice in a way. That is kind of, and you know what? Kudos to them for establishing a cinematic universe that allows that. I mean, very yeah. Marvel and, and, and very Marvel, like you said earlier, is that each film is its own unique story. It right. has its own unique framing device. And um, Mission Impossible can't doesn't do that, right? Every movie's got to be about Tom jumping right. far it's very james bond as well right. as it's right. okay right. here's your new mission it's it, and this series could have gone down that road you know too fast too furious could have been you know brian infiltrating another two. racing group and right. trying to find criminals there but that's not the ro road they go down kind of right. um and we'll talk about that in the next episode. So I, yeah, I guess. The, well, yeah, knowing how kind of knowing that there was just a contractual agreement between the uh, the Rock and uh, who plays Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, um, Jason Statham. Jason Statham, knowing that there was contractually they weren't allowed to appear weaker than each other <laughs> in the films. Was it them two? I heard, I always heard it was the Rock and Vin Diesel. I heard the same thing. Right. Well, like, now Hobbs and Shaw. I guess fight. they're like they're like very like they've got like like uh, Iron Man vision now, and they can like they can do like uh, Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock kind of like predictions of moves. I guess. Uh, I don't know. I haven't, but like, I guess if you pay attention to like how they, how like the UI ranking of strength that they, that they overlay over eyeballs, I guess. I don't know. I, it, Rob, I have no idea where this freaking movies oh, are going. It's going, no wait, and Hobbs and Shaw is a whole other thing that I think very much could open up this, this cinematic universe. And hopefully I know there's a sequel to that in the works and that could be its own. Never mind. We'll, we'll talk about it. This is going to be a journey. This is a marathon. And it turns out at the end of at the end of jungle cruise, the rock character finds the fountain of youth <laughs> and a muscle car. <laughs> And then daddy's got to get to work uh, while the while the movie is about a, driving a quarter mile at a time. This is going to be a marathon. So we're we'll talk about all those when we get to those episodes. Uh, the next episode is going to be about Too Fast, Too Furious, but not just Too Fast, Too Furious. I'm also I'm going to send you a link to this, Dan. We're also going to be watching and everybody who wants to watch along uh, can find this on YouTube. We're going to be watching the turbocharged prelude to Too Fast, Too Furious. It's a six minute short film that was meant to bridge the first movie and the second and was included in, I believe the special edition DVD for the fast and the furious, as well as the You're DVD to nerd. too fast, too furious. You're such a nerd. Here's the thing. I didn't know about this until I started planning this podcast. Oh really? I okay. was planning the episode nerd card like, revoked. Yeah. There are actually two short films that are set in between these movies that we're going to be watching um, too fast, too furious, two short films. That's the name of the episode. Films. And thankfully, uh, we'll talk about it, but the short film, the shorter, the better. <laughs> We're talking about the, the brilliance of the franchise. There's not a lot of brilliance in the short film. So, oh, my gosh. That's um, incredible. But it'll be fun to talk about. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening. Again, our plan is we're going to put try and put out an episode every other week. Give everybody time to watch these movies at their own pace. We're going to be covering all of them, including Hobbs and Shaw. It's hopefully going to be um, a blast. Uh, we're hopefully going to also bring on other guests onto the podcast. So that it will be more than uh, Dan and I talking about these movies like the fast family. Hopefully our family will grow. And uh, if you enjoyed it, all I ask is uh, leave a review, share it. I don't even care about reviews. This is a mini series. I don't care about reviews. Share it with a friend. If you know somebody who's shown 
at least slight interest in the Fast and the Furious, let them know about this podcast. Maybe it'll um, don't make it value more of a fun time. don't devalue our fun times as a mini series. We might full Frasier this some bitch. Maybe I mean, well, I guess the films will never really end. So I guess no, our but job... I'm saying that there's also that you can apply the idea of this uh, the podcast appreciating action movies for just I mean just forgetting that they're action movies just appreciating them you know what I mean there's a lot of point you know all right so leave a review everybody leave a review leave a review (laughs) (laughs) we might need those reviews we cash those in later on right those cash those in for and don't forget to mention how much you hate me in the review because everyone mentions that in my foolish mortal podcast there's (laughs) no there's none of that allowed here this is the fast and the furious we capture the spirit of these films everybody's family okay and even the villains also in okay okay more importantly when you leave your review and we'll know that you've listened this deep into the podcast make sure you mention what if if they were to if they would ever cast rob and i in a reboot uh what <laughs> characters we would play that's the that's the the canary in the mind that you listen to the pilot you listen all the way to the end <laughs> you know can i say who i think i would play no you can't say that because oh maybe you can say that okay yeah okay and tell us if you disagree with who we would play good, i good, think good, i good, would good, play good. the guy in the ferrari who lost to brian on their way to lunch I'd be the guy oh, you're who's not gonna like, be a recurring character. No, I'd be the guy who's like, I don't know enough about cars to know cars. I'm just going to buy one that seems like a good idea and I'm not going to know how to use it. So I'm going to lose this race. That's, <laughs> that's my, oh, that's you're explaining me with a Tesla in a, in a year or so. <laughs> I think this is a fast car. I don't know. Uh, I just got lost that guy in a Mazda. Oh, oh well. and then after you watch this, after you, before you watch the next movie, also make sure to pick up Tracy Chapman's fast car album. Cause man, that's a a great song too you familiar with tracy chapman i know the name i don't know that album Rob, check out the song fast car it's gonna blow your mind it's fantastic okay that's my Thanks homework for, wait what's our sign out for um this, well before family? sign outs uh what what do you where can people find you on the internet if they want oh, more dan okay. content disney dan on facebook twitter instagram uh, right. uh youtube yeah I'm on youtube primarily <laughs> that's the big one that's the big uh, one and you can find me on YouTube as well, Midway to Main Street, although it has nothing to do with the Fast and the Furious. It has everything to do with theme parks and amusement parks. That's what we do when we're not talking about this uh, franchise. Um, I think you but, need to do a video about the Fast. You need to find something to like to like deep dive into the Fast and the Furious ride and then plug this podcast at the end. Well, we want to bring on Sam of Expedition Theme Park, who did a great two-parter on the Fast and the Furious ride on YouTube. Um, so if you want to yeah, know the history of that but there's an audience ride, out there, Rob, that can't listen to British people talk, all right? So that's what you're going to step in and do. You're going to cover all the same things, just with an American accent. Well, I'm, that I don't can't know be who... this audience, because we've got <laughs> British people in the movie franchise. Oh, you do, you do, right. That's not, so, okay. Good news, all you British tolerant folks. Go over and check out Sam's YouTube. Who else are we going to have on? Um, I would love to bring Alicia Stella onto the podcast when we talk about the ride because well, she's she internationally she, recognized. So it's internationally a recognized audience. Alicia Stella. She's she knows the she knows more about Universal Studios than I, anybody else I know out there. And so I think she'd be great to have on for that. And then I don't know. We'll see. We'll see who else we can bring on. Yeah. But yeah, we need we do need a sign off. Well, this is what's the what's the Papa John's one? We'll just call up that because that guy's a scumbag. This is family. What is it? I don't know. Uh, uh, pizza, pizza. No, that's Little Caesars. Until next time, live a quarter mile at a time. Live life a quarter mile. Hit that nos. <laughs> this was a quarter mile of our lives, and we'll see you for another. I don't know. You'll Hit always that NOS. be. You'll always be family. You'll always. I think that's Papa John's. Um. 
Enjoy a Corona, sponsored by Corona. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. What's uh, you can you can listen to any podcast, but it's gotta be Fast and the Furious art. There you go. <laughs>